0: Welcome to a new episode of the Cutting Edge OTRs. Today, we're going to review some exciting research in a study that's the first of its kind. And this research comes out of Pennsylvania. And it was authored by Schwartz, Charm, Buley, Wood, Leslie, and Peterson-Wolf. Now, the objective of this study was to test the effect of the administration of a non-seroton anti-inflammatory drug, meloxicam, on the behavior, health, and production in peripartum cows. Now, this was the first study of its kind that would examine this effect when maloxicam was administered prior to the actual calving event. So that was the overall objective. Their hypothesis was the administration of maloxicam before calving would increase activity measures and milk more so than post-calving administration and that both of those treatment groups would be more active on the days following calving, display fewer lying bouts on the day of calving, and produce more milk than the controls. The authors also hypothesized that the NSAID-treated dystocia cows would be more responsive to treatment than the NSAID-treated dystocia cows. So stay tuned, OTORS. For a new exciting episode, we're gonna reveal some really interesting research and some really cool um, final conclusions that the authors were able to find. So stay tuned. So the real challenge is, how do veterinarians like us, who don't have the time, resources, or financial backing of a multi-million dollar company, who are faced with irregular work schedules, on calls, and emergencies. How can we facilitate our own personal and professional growth so we can continue to offer superior service to our clients while still remaining competitive in today's market? That is the challenge, and this podcast will provide you the roadmap to its solution. I'm your host, Dr. Eric, and welcome to Operators to Owners. Welcome back, OTOs. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode today Um, coming out of the article that's titled Mock's Cam Administration, Either Prior to or After Parturition and Effects on Behavior, Health, and Production in Dairy Cows. Now, I hope this is entertaining for you guys because I've got some real big tongue twister words here, eustosic and dystochic. I can't get them out of my mouth, so if I pronounce them wrong, please laugh with me as I go along. But this research was published out of Pennsylvania. Uh, It was published by Schwartz Schramm. Buley, Wood, Le- Leslie, Pearson and Wolf. And again, just restating, their objective was just to look at the effect of administration of non steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, specifically in this case, meloxicam, on the behavior, health, and production in peripartum cows. So they formulated their entire hypothesis around this, and there's some really cool and interesting background information in this article, much like the previous articles that re- we have reviewed in The Cutting Edge. So I'm going to share a couple of those examples with you guys. Um, I think one of the ones that is a, a general trending factor through this entire paper is that inflammation has been documented in both healthy and diseased cattle after calving in multiple studies. So this means that no matter what, whether you think an animal went through a normal quote-unquote calving or an abnormal quote-unquote calving, um, there was a disease or, or an inflammation process going on at that point. Another piece of interesting research um, came out by Q in 2014, and they found that elevations in haptoglobin levels were markedly greater prior to the onset of clinical disease in cattle. And this kind of became a little bit more important when Poll in 2015 found that that haptoglobin marker, that inflammatory marker, was found at about two and a half times the normal level in animals with assisted calvings over those without. So clearly that marker is also a big indicator of the potential of future onset of disease. And what we'll find a little bit later, it has an effect on milk production as well. Another interesting fact from Atishi, Atishi in 2012 was that cattle experiencing dystocic events often see reduced peak milk of up to four and a half pounds per day. So obviously, just to show we already knew is bad, but there's a little bit of a number if you're ever looking for something that you're doing some trainings on farms um, and why we need to intervene earlier rather than later um, and the effect on peak lactation. Just an interesting fact if you're ever doing some teaching events. Also, prior studies have found that NSAIDs such as Nixon, um, when they're given after calving, have basically been unsuccessful in reducing disease incidence. So, Schwartz in 2009 actually found an increase in the rate of RPs, metritis, elevated temperatures, and overall decreased milk yield. Um, and this was kind of backed up by Newby in 2017. Um, the negative effects of flunixin pre calving were also kind of noted by Newby in that 2017 study when they found that there was a five time increase in stillbirths in animals that were treated with flunixin prior to calving versus animals that were treated after. So clearly, obviously, Flunixin, um, from the NSAID and treatment standpoint, not an ideal drug for us to choose to try and mitigate some of this pain and inflammation in our um, calving dams. The thing that the last thing I want to note with you guys is that Moloxcam, Moloxcam has been found to work better than Flunixin post-calving. Um, Menu, in 2014, found that post-calving Moloxcam increased post-calving activity for the first two days post-calving when compared with control eustotic animals to treated animals. So similarly, Newby found in 2013 that Moloxcam treated dystocic animals, visited the bunk more often, and spent more time feeding than control animals that weren't treated with Moloxcam. And finally, reinforcing all of this, Carpenter in 2016 found that animals treated post-calving with meloxicam, increased their milk yields by 8.8 pounds per day for a 305-day lactation when they are compared to control animals or untreated animals. So clearly here, what we're seeing is this evolution of flunixin is not so ideal for this particular application. Meloxicam is appearing to be more ideal, and this is the framework that these authors have kind of founded their research on, based their hypothesis on, and are moving forward from there. So at this point, I'm just going to revisit their hypothesis in case you guys have forgot it, but the administration of Molox can, before calving, would increase activity measures and milk more so than post-calving administration. And that both treatment groups, the pre-treatment group and the post-treatment group, would be more active on days following calving, display fewer lying bouts on the day of calving, and produce more milk than the controls. The authors also rounded this hypothesis out saying that NSAID treated dystocia cows would be more responsive to treatment than NSAID treated excuse me, NSAID treated dystocia cows. Okay. So that's a hypothesis rolling in. So let's set up the methods a little bit here. So the time frame they had was from August 2016 to August 2017. So they ran it for basically a year in Blacksburg, Virginia. This was on the university campus farm. Uh, Obviously a single commercial herd. They're They're milked twice a day in a double 12 parlor. The study enrolled about 237 animals and only about 194 qualified for analysis. And this is because of some of the definitions of how animals needed to be treated in a specific time window, which we'll talk about next. But there's also a couple of disqualified factors, a C-section cow and a couple other mitigating cows that they described in the paper. But it's going to be important as we move forward to note why certain animals are eliminated and how that's going to basically roll into how we could implement this into the field and the difficulties with that. So these animals were housed in a three-week close-up group on a compost bedding. Once they had their calving event, they moved into a post-fresh group for seven days on compost bedding again. After those seven days, they entered into a sand bedded freestall herd. This entire time along, they're fed a TMR ration. Um, There's a a specific close-up TMR ration, and then they transitioned through into the next two rations. But it was a TMR overall. For further breakdown, you just got to go and visit the page, really. Um, You can get a little bit better description. I'm not going to take up time with that. The study encompassed three different groups. So we had a control group, a meloxicam pre-calving group, and a meloxicam post-calving group. So the meloxicam pre-calving group received one mg per kg of meloxicam orally, six to 48 hours prior to calving, as determined by vaginal temperature changes. So I think it's important here, you can see where some of these animals are disqualified because you had to be within that six to 48 hour window. So that becomes a little bit more difficult. But the reason that they kind of had this extended window or the window that they picked is because meloxicam concentrations peak at about 11 hours after oral oral administration found by Amelredi in 2013. But this was a study done in mid-lactation animals. So there's a more recent study actually that backs this up that actually was published after this research um, by Gordon in 2018 that actually showed that the concentrations in postpartum dams of meloxicam actually um, peak at 18 hours after administration. So with this extended window, it gives the drug a better chance to actually reach peak prior to the actual calving event. So again, that's a little bit of background about why we picked that window or why they picked that window, excuse me. Um, Meloxicam post-calving group, the Meloxicam post-calving treatment group, received the same dosage, 1 mg per kg of Meloxicam orally, less than 12 hours post-calving. And again, obviously, the control group received two blank boluses. So how do they evaluate these? How do they evaluate um, all the different parameters they wanted to look at? So first, they looked at calving time. So like I mentioned before, they used a vaginal thermometer um, made by Valphone. It's a company out of France, I believe. And what they were looking for is um, uh, Burfind in 2011 kind of confirmed that Uh, there's about a 0.6 degree centigrade drop in temperature right before um, the calving event. I think it's right around 48 hours or so. So what they're looking for is that drop and that triggered the meloxcam bolus administration. So that's how they evaluated calving time. Now for milk yield, they had daily parlor weights and then they also tracked this milk yield all the way out to 15 weeks of lactation, which you're gonna see is gonna be a little bit more important when we're looking at this study compared to other meloxcam studies dystocia scoring, they used a new and kind of unusual method when you're looking at how people score dystocias in research trials. Um, they used some some research that was based upon Shuneman's study, which is uh, was done in 2011, and it showed um, that calving events lasting greater than 70 minutes. So basically, when a cow enters stage two labor, she should um, calve within 70 minutes. If she hasn't, you need to assist her. So they use that 70-minute cutoff as their cutoff in their study. So once the amniotic sac appeared at the vulva, the clock started for 70 minutes. After 70 minutes, a calving event was considered a dystocia. At 70 minutes or less, it was a Eustoshic event, um, so basically a normal calving. So that's how they defined dystocia in this particular trial. And finally, when they got their activity and their behavior monitoring, they used accelerometers for this. Um, they used the AFI-TAG-2, which is more common in Europe, obviously, um, with afi milk being pretty Pretty popular there. They measured activity, lying time, and lying bouts with this technology. So, what were some of the results they saw? So, the first thing they looked at was lying times, and there was no treatment effect on lying times, none at all. Next thing they looked at was activity, and what they found is there was no treatment effect on eustosic, um calvings at all. So, no treatment effect on normal calvings, but dystoshic pre Mooloxicam. So animals receiving maloxicam prior to calving, those animals were less active than the control dystochic animals. And dystochic post-maloxicam, so animals with dystocias that received maloxicam after calving, were less active than control animals. It's going to be an important thing we're going to talk about later. It's kind of in contradiction to the actual hypothesis the authors had. Now lion boats. There was no effect on multiparous animals, so multi, multiple calf animals, lying bouts, treatment didn't matter to them. However, primiparous, pre meloxicam animals, so animals again receiving meloxicam prior to calving, had longer lying bouts than control and post meloxicam animals. Very interesting effect there that it only affects um, single or first lactation animals. Disease events, there was no treatment effect on disease events. Calving length, there was no treatment effect on calving length. Rectal temperature, no treatment effect on rectal temperature. BHBA, no treatment effect on BHBA results. So obviously here what we're seeing, no effect on that calving length or on a lot of the health parameters that they looked at. Now, milk yield is very interesting. So Eustochic animals that received pre or meloxicam prior to calving produced 15 pounds per day more than control animals and nine and a half pounds per day more than post-Molox animal animals or animals that received Molox after calving. Now there was no difference found between the treatment groups and animals with dystocia. So if they had a dystocia event and received it pre or post or didn't or were in the control group, no difference there. But these eustosic animals, definitely a difference between the controls and between the post cam animals. Now this effect extended into milk fat. So pre moloxcam animals or Maloxicam animals receiving moloxcam prior to calving made about um, 0.35 pounds more fat per day than control and post cam animals. Now the post moloxcam animals made 0.22 more pounds per day than the control animals. But there was no statistically significant difference between the pre and post animals in terms of milk fat production. Now, if you look at milk protein, pre-moloxicam animals produced about 0.22 more pounds per day of protein than control animals. And again, no no statistical difference between the pre and post and the post and the controls. Just between the the pre-moloxicam animals and the control animals was the only difference. So given those results, what were the conclusions the authors found? And there's three major conclusions in this in this trial. And the first was the pre-Maloxicam animals, the animals that received Maloxicam prior to calving, increased their milk yield in eustosiac animals over the post-Maloxicam administration animals and the control animals. So giving Maloxicam six to 48 hours prior to calving caused animals to perform significantly better in milk yield. Moxicam administration had no effect on milk yield in dystogic cattle. So, contrary to prior to what they had thought in their hypothesis, there was no effect in animals with dystocia events. The final thing that they concluded is that moxicam pre, so moxicam that was given prior to calving, increased milk yield in eutocic animals but decreased activity in dystocic animals. Again, counter to what their hypothesis was going to be about improving the activity in these actual animals with dystociac events. So what does this all mean? And I'm going to combine, again, like I do in all of these cutting edge articles, I try to combine some of my thoughts and the author's thoughts and give you guys kind of a, a perspective that gives you something to think about, but also something you can apply in the field. So the authors wanted to note that it's possible that the administration of meloxicam around calving is beneficial to eustoshic animals and actually detrimental to dystosic animals. And it's possible that the meloxicam administration dystochic animals caused less activity by actually decreasing the inflammation. Um, that was kind of and this was kind of seen prior in um, barrier in 2014 did a study where they saw this. However, um, the author really wanted to note that additional studies are going to be needed to investigate the effect of meloxicam in dystochic animals and their behaviors. They really weren't satisfied with what they had seen here. And obviously some of these results and when they started reviewing other articles within this actual research article, um, there's lots of conflict there. And they really wanted to note that a lot of this conflict probably stems from the lack of a consistent definition in dystociac behavior um, and allowing, if we had that, the comparability between all these studies. Another thing the author wanted to talk about is the increase in lion bouts in primiparous animals, or first lactation animals. I thought it was really interesting. Um, the, the author specifically noted that they're unsure as to why mulloxic administration before calving increased lion bouts on the day of calving in heifers, and why this effect was limited to primiparous animals, and not apparent in multiparous cows. Now, it's interesting that the number of line bouts on the day of calving in the prima Paris pre-calving can group was similar to that of the actual multiparous animals. So as multiparous animals typically deliver more calves more easily than the primiparous animals, Um, that data would suggest that the anti-inflammatory effects of pre-calving meloxicam administration to primiparous cows allowed for an easier calving or a um, more similar calving to that of the multiparous cows. Now, that's a direct quote out of there, and I think it's really, really interesting. Um, If you uh, didn't catch all of it, just hit the backwards 30 seconds button, and you'll get it again. But clearly, this is a finding that I think needs to be pursued more in the future, Um, obviously uh, there's lots of things that cause our heifers not to perform quite as well as our cows. But as uh, I started to read this article and do a little bit more research into it, this inflammatory cascade, and I'll talk a little bit more about it next, is clearly um, a big driving factor to overall utter health. And if we can mitigate the stress and the inflammatory factors that are related to first calf heifers, Perhaps we can get them even closer to the performance of our second and greater lactation cows. So on that note, um, a lack of treatment effect on health events um, was interesting to me personally. Um, I know other st- studies that have suggested that Flunixin increases disease incidence, specifically in RPs and mitritis, um, but maloxicam wasn't really found to have this effect in this study um, and in previous studies. Um, the author does a really good job in this article explaining how the COX-2 specific inhibition of meloxicam must not have a negative effect on disease frequency like other NSAIDs experience um, when they utilize that COX-1 and COX-2 combination. Um, but more interestingly is the fact that meloxicam didn't increase stillbirths either, making its administration pre-calving really appealing to me um, as a, a person who's used meloxicam in the past in practice. Um And I think adding on to or building on to this is the author really wanted to note um, that while not seen in this study, there has been reproductive physiologists who have done research that suggests that this COX-2 inhibition um, does feed into some of the um, progesterone pathways um, that could cause dystocia um, or or block some of the prostaglandin um, effect. Um, but it wasn't noted in this trial, but it's definitely something that might need to be pursued in the in the future. So, um, definitely kind of interesting how how this is playing together, how how their um, that inflammatory pathway is basically feeding into all of this. Now, continuing on to a little bit more of um, an actual practical ap- applicability for you in practice. Um, obviously, given there's a large meat and milk withhold that Farad pa- places on came in the U.S. Um, there's going to obviously be some pushback against the mainstream adi- adaptation of this drug and a protocol like this. Um, however, if you start to investigate uh, the culling history in your dairies and look at how many animals are actually culled within the meat withhold window, you might get a sense um, if this would be a higher low risk um, cost or, or income risk for that dairy. If they're not culling a lot of animals in the shorter day um window in this you know 15 days or less window in milk then maybe there's not a lot of risk for that dairy. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is that animals called at that particular stage of lactation generally don't have a lot of income so perhaps uh, it'd be better to invest in something like this for the long-term gain of many many more cows and you're going to end up maybe sacrificing the ability to cull um, a small number of cows in that window but definitely worth investigating on your dairies. Um, Another point to consider, again, with MELOXCAM is the milk withhold. Um, But I think that that's mitigated a little bit because some of the more common dry tubes that at least we're using in practice um, are going to require 48 to 96 hours of milk withhold post-calving. So if you start to factor in MLOXCAM administration, you know, prior to calving and that automatic milk dump that it's already existing, um, a treatment like the one described in this study might actually not have that much milk loss at all. So you you wouldn't even have to factor, you would have to factor that in, obviously, but you wouldn't have as much economic impact as you might think would have on there. So clearly, um, a treatment plan like this is worth pursuing or considering for a dairy, um, especially if these results get validated on a larger scale. The results coming out of the study are showing that an average dairy or this average dairy would get about 15 pounds more milk per day. I mean, if you take that over a 305-day lactation, that's about 4,500 pounds of milk. Um, Take it at $18 milk, it's about $800 in gross revenue. And again, that's per eustosia cow. So with potential outcomes like this, I think it's too large of a number to actually ignore. Um, And the reason that this has not come to light before is really well explained in this paper by the author. Um, much of the gains that they've seen or they saw in this study in milk production were actually seen as you approached peak lactation. Um, and most of the prior camp studies actually stopped tracking milk yields at about 30 days after calving. And they also either did that or they focused only on treating dystocia cattle. So again, just, you know, they took the window out a little bit further based upon some small studies that they found and basically massaged those numbers all the way out to that 15-week interval to get you a better idea of what you could potentially get for yields. Now, the author also explained and basically what I'm doing here is I'm going to bring all this all together, the COX-1, the COX-2, the, COX the inflammation cascade, the additional milk. And the author did a really good job of packaging this all, and they explained the reason for the increase in peak production a little bit later in the article. It's like one of the last little sections in the article. And based upon research um, by Conley in 2010, they tied this together. And what Conley found was that when the inflammatory cascade is initiated, it'll signal for apoptosis of the mammary epithelium. However, if you delay the release of this cascade and specific factors within the cascade and reduce its overall effect, you'll actually see a a delay in involution and a reduction in cell loss in the mammary epithelium. This is backed up by research by Bertuni in 2018, or excuse me, 2008, which reinforces this theory by showing that cows with the greatest amount of inflammation in a herd produce 20% less milk, 20%. Great number for you guys. If you're thinking about talking about foot issues, health issues, anything like that in a dairy, I'm going to say it again. So this research by um, Bertoni in 2008 reinforces this theory by showing that cows with the greatest inflammation in a herd produce 20% less milk than those with the least amount of inflammation. So what the author does is they hypothesize that the Molochkim administration pre-calving helps prevent this inflammatory cascade, which helps prevent apoptosis within the mammary epithelium, increasing overall peak milk, helping with the persistency through the entire lactation. Whereas if you start with the maloxicam post-calving, it may be too late to get in front of that inflammatory cascade, and you're still going to lose some cells. Now, if you look at this study, is post-calving maloxicam better than no meloxicam? It would appear so. author does not comment directly on that, but it would appear that it's better than nothing. But this pre-calving maloxicam really does seem to be able to get in front of this particular pathway, and that's the hypothesis of how they think that happens. Now, one of the last things the author wanted to comment on is the lack of effect in dystocia cattle. And again, we're going to come back full circle that, you know, dosages may be insufficient in these animals to get in front of this inflammatory cascade. And the definition of dystocia in all these different trials is difficult to determine because people are using different definitions. So they suggest that we just need to reevaluate maybe the dosage, the frequency, um, and our overall definition of dystocia to really get an idea of how Molox can can affect those cattle. The last overall thing that the author wanted to acknowledge as a limitation for this trial is obviously how do you get a bolus in pre-calving? And the technology hasn't specifically gotten there. We have some moderately sensitive technologies um, you know, like uh, I think it's MUCOL, um, these vaginal thermometers, things like that, that are good um, for detecting the onset of a calving event. But the author had hoped that as technology evolves and catches up with the um, actual industry and we can get some more sensitive technologies, that research like this can be applied to that to have a greater effect. Now, to wrap this all up, i I think the author must have a little bit of sense of humor much like myself. They had a great quote from a study, a two thousand and four study, but by McClick, McClintock, talk, easy for me to say. Um, and it was a great little quote from that study. And I'd imagine i don't I don't know the author. I don't know who he or she is, but I like the picture. It's probably a, a, a female who's gone through a birthing process. but they, they this study, the quote says, There is no such thing as an easy calving, just varying degrees of difficulty from the dam's perspective. So (laughs) I kind of have to chuckle at this, obviously, now that I have a child um, and have gone through that event. And that's very, very true. Um, (laughs) My wife would be one of the very severe dystocia cattle, but... Um, I think it's important that as we practice medicine, we realize that no matter how you approach a calving event, that animal's going through some degree of inflammation due to, just to the parturition event. So we need to think of ways or seek ways to healthfully mitigate it. And this may involve NSAIDs in some manner. Um, I'm not convinced that it would be a good idea to use COX-1 and COX-2 NSAIDs. Um, obviously, I think meloxicam from this study um, would be a great alternative. We need a little bit more research to determine um, how it should be applied in specific windows, I think. I'd like to see a little bit more power in terms of larger scale. Um, I'd like to see how people could implement it on a larger dairy setting. But I do think it's really exciting, and it is something that I would really like to take on um, and just see it in a real-world application if you can get it to apply or not, given the current technologies that we have. So thanks for tuning in with me today, OTRs. I'll get this up on the website so you can peruse the article if you want. Tons of information here, um, lots of stuff that you can try to apply, um, but definitely something you guys need to know about and lots of interesting back um, side facts that came along with this article. The author wrote an excellent paper. So again, if you're looking to uh, really dive into something really interesting, go out and hit the paper up. Um, This is a journal of the dairy science paper. I'll have the link on the website. So thanks for joining me today, OTOs, and carry on. If you like this content and want more, you can stop by the Operator's Owner's website at otovets.com. There you can sign up for our community at otovets.com forward slash Facebook. You can also consume some of our original content at the blog at otovets.com forward slash blog. Thank you for joining us today and we'll catch you next time OTRs.